0: context, and culture. A podcast
1: hosted by Pastors Corey Majors and Trent Roseman, intended to clarify and comment on critical issues pertaining to theology, the Bible, and life in the church. Now,
0: enjoy the podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to season two as we walk through the book of Revelation together. I'm super excited and I hope you are too. I hope you have your Bible out or if you're in the car, I hope you're just ready to listen along as we walk through the beginning of of the book of Revelation. As we've already mentioned, during this season of In Context and Culture, we'll be walking through the book of Revelation slowly, and we hope you walk along through the book with us. In walking through it, what we'll do is we're gonna talk about four C's after we read each particular passage. Today, we'll read Revelation 1, 1 through three, and afterwards, we'll talk about the context Of this particular passage. That means the background information, that means some interpretive cues and analysis, um, just to talk about okay, how do we understand this? Then, the second C, uh, we'll talk about Christ. What does this passage tell us about God, what he desires, and what he will do? So, we'll talk about Christ, because ultimately, the book of Revelation, as with all of the Bible, points us to the glorious reality that Christ is king. Third, We will then talk about culture. So how do we apply a passage like what we'll find in the book of Revelation in our own lives, in our own day? That's why we call it culture. How are we going to apply this today in and where we live? And then number four, uh, the last C, we'll talk about controversy. Now these will be particular controversies that we find in specific passages um, where different commentators and scholars have disagreed on the way to properly understand Uh, that passage we'll be walking through. So um, in doing so, and just discussing the different ideas, we may give some ideas of our own. So we hope you look forward to that. This is not intended to just be a hot-button debate or a hot topic, um, you know, uh, where we're just kind of throwing up our own ideas out of uh, the abyss per se, uh, but rather just discussing uh, what people are talking about and where we might land within those controversies. So hey, we're so glad that you joined us. We do hope, unless you're in the car, that you just take a moment to open your Bible because not only do we want this to be a blessing to you in the way that you just hear what we have to say, but we want you to walk through the book with us, almost like your own personal Bible study. So Corey, let's get started. I think you're reading the passage in Revelation that we're going to begin with, Revelation 1 one through three, but before you do, I just want to point you back again. I know I've already said this, but I want to point you back again in this season, walking through the book of Revelation. If you have not yet listened to the introduction that we recorded last week, go ahead so that you can look at the different approaches to the book, the different interpretations of the book, and why this book is so important. That all being said, Revelation chapter one. Go ahead, Corey
1: if you got your bibles uh, i'll just let you know i'm reading from the english standard version and so you can look that up on esv.org or if you have a esv bible with you you can read along with me the revelation of jesus christ which god gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place he made it known by sending his angel to his servant john who bore witness to the word of god and to the testimony of jesus christ even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near.
0: Now, not trying to change the theme of the way that we're approaching this, but have you auditioned for the Dwell Bible app yet?
1: Uh, I probably could. Yeah. I yeah, mean, no.
0: audio version right there. That's great. <laughs> all right. I'm not trying to get away from uh, the seriousness of the text before us, but. In starting our four C's, let's talk about the context. So what's going on behind the scenes here? What are some cues and clues within this passage? So do you want to just kind of begin? Let's look at the context together.
1: Well, I mean, whenever we whenever we think about what is trying to be communicated to us here, I think one of the things we first have to realize is the the book of Revelation is meant to reveal to us, not conceal. Um you know, that the word revelation means to reveal and unveiling. And so he, God reveals to us um, who he is in this. I mean, he, he's, he's showing us not only who Jesus Christ is, those things that are to come. Um, and some people just shy away from revelation because they think that they're not capable of digging into it. And so one of the things is that God has given this to reveal, not conceal uh, another thing in those first three verses is, is that God has given this to prepare us for what is to come. And so, um, you know, if you, if you're not, if you're not looking at it, uh, I don't, I don't think you're going to be prepared. Um, and then also God has given us the revelation to be a blessing to us. Uh, it says very clearly there, those who read aloud, those who hear it and keep it, uh, it's meant to be a blessing for them. And so maybe you could go into a little bit more about some of the background there of, of what's going on and, you know, maybe just some, some keys in the text.
0: Yeah, you pointed out, I think, the three most important things in these first three verses. That's why in talking to you beforehand, I said, you just take this, right? So you mentioned reveal in this passage. You mentioned prepare, which is kind of showing what's going to happen throughout the rest of the book, and then a blessing. So in looking at each one of those um, uh, uh, ideas in the context, um, I think introductions as a whole are just important, right? So if you start a book... um, uh, for example, maybe uh, someone in our audience is not a huge reader and in high school they remember um, going on SparkNotes.com or whatever that website is, right? Uh, and Maybe they had a copy of the book their own. Probably what they did was um, if they had enough time, they read the very first few pages of the book, the very last few pages of the book, maybe the first few sentences in each chapter of the book um, just to kind of get the idea of what's going on so that they might be able to tell what's coming, what's going to happen, what did happen, all those different types of things. Well, the book of uh, Revelation is no different in its introduction. It gives us kind of the right lenses to approach what is to come. And so what lenses this book gives us uh, is it basically says, hey, God is revealing something here um, about himself, as you said, and about what um, uh, is to come so to prepare his people for exactly what is to come. The, the thing that's a little bit difficult, even though this is definitely revelatory rather than conciliatory um, in this book of showing that we might see is that it uses pictures and symbols, right? Um, And and oftentimes, like in the letters of Paul, he writes very straightforward, almost in a a logical, chronological format. I mean, if you look at the book of 1 Corinthians, it's just like this problem, then then this problem, then this problem. In the book of Revelation, you have these pictures and symbols that operate um, that really give us uh, the idea of what's going on. And these pictures and symbols don't operate as almost like clips in a chronological movie, but as pictures in an art gallery. Now, I am stealing that um, from Kevin DeYoung, who probably stole it from someone else, right? (laughs) Um, But the pictures oftentimes recapitulate or um, uh, say something that's already taken place in different ways with different vantage points throughout the book, uh, which we can talk more about that in the controversy section in a little bit. But I think that's just... I think that's worth noting, and I do think it's worth noting as well that as we walk through the book, you'll notice that there's some things that may be a little bit easier for the first century audience um, to, to understand. Um, for example, if you walk into a, a town, and you've never lived in that town before, um, uh, and someone tells you, hey, you need to uh, turn by you know Harold's old place and go to where there used to be an ice cream shop, right? Right? Um, that might be a little bit difficult for you at first glance unless you're fully aware of what was going on during that time frame, right? Um, And so uh, preparing in that section of not only talking about what's being revealed here, but in preparing us, we should note, hey, there was some persecution that was taking place in this church at this time that John was writing, and there's going to be persecution that's going to take place in our lives as well. Um, And God is, written the book of revelation in this introduction it says to basically say hey you'll be blessed by remembering that jesus will soon return there will be things that soon take place so read this aloud keep it obey it be forewarned that you might be forearmed right and so i think you're exactly right reveal prepare hey this book's a blessing so let's not conceal it let's not hide it let's open it let's read it together let's not be afraid of it um, anything you would add to any of that?
1: Well, I just think, too, whenever, we're, whenever we think about the book of Revelation, I don't want to lose, um, again, what, um, what God is revealing about himself. And, and while this isn't explicitly stated uh, in these first three verses, I mean, we look at the care that God took in, in delivering this message I mean, he sent his angel to John. It's a revelation from God through Jesus Christ, through the angel, to John, to the churches. I mean, there's yeah. so much meticulous care taken to make sure that that the people of God hear what he wants them to hear. And it's just another example of his steadfast love and faithfulness to his people that... Um, you know, even in the midst of difficulty, he's going to give them hope. He's going to he's going to help them see what is to come, so that they can endure. They will endure, and so just you just really see, I think, the heart of God in that uh, for His people. And and I mean, also, I won't try to go on a whole lot further in the book, but also, uh, what this reveals to us is that God's a warrior and He's a victor uh, in all of this. And so we're, we're going to see so many things that God reveals about himself, uh, throughout this book. But I think in these first three verses, we really just see that care for his people.
0: Yeah. So I think we're embarking on that second C here is, is what does this passage tell us about Christ? Um, and that meticulous care of delivering the message. I think it's so funny right now, um, that, uh, I don't know if you've had this trouble, but during, you know, this, this time period that we're finding ourselves in with, the COVID nineteen pandemic being a reality in the United States and across the world, um, I've had difficulty in tracking packages uh, sent by UPS and USPS and <laughs> FedEx yeah. uh, through Amazon all throughout this time, right? And so I'll go on my app and I'll try to figure out, okay, where is the uh, random thing that I bought for student ministry uh, that's you know uh, that, that you think would be here in two days? And oh, it's in Virginia, and oh, I was in Kansas now. And all of a sudden, it's not there anymore, and I don't even have a tracking list for it, right? God, with um, precision and meticulous care, wrote exactly how he was going to deliver this letter so that the churches might be blessed by it and reading it. I think that is spot on. I think that's a great comment. I think, too, what we learn from Christ here. um, I don't know if anybody knows the verse um, in Deuteronomy chapter 7. I do believe it's in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Maybe you can um, correct me there. I'm looking in my Bible right now, and I know this is just exciting for people listening while I'm looking for a passage of Scripture.
1: <laughs> well, at least we hear you turning pages, so we know yeah, that you're not you just go. making it up.
0: Yeah, there you go. Well, I'll tell you this: in De- the Book of Deuteronomy, um, uh, there is a passage that talks about the things that are hidden, um, and I cannot remember that passage that it's in. Deuteronomy 29:21. Nine. No, I was looking at 21:21. 21, 21. And Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, Hey, the secret things belong to our Lord, but the things revealed by him belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Well, what mm-hmm. is he doing in the book of Revelation? He is chosen to reveal something to us. Now, we don't deserve any sort of revelation, whatever his knowledge is that um, he is giving us in this book, but he has done so intently that we might hear, be comforted, be admonished if necessary, so that we might obey and be victors as he brings our victory, right? And so he's giving us the glimmer of hope in this book that we can hold on to and trust in as we endure. He didn't have to do that. He knows so much more than we know. Paul says his ways, uh, uh, or Isaiah said his ways are, are, are higher than our ways, and Paul said, who can fathom the mind of the Lord, right? And so there's some things in the Bible that he's chosen to reveal for us and for our children forever that we may follow all the words of his law, right? And so I think revelation is just a beautiful um, uh, uh, word of God so that we might be encouraged to be faithful, and that we might be encouraged that he will be faithful as well.
1: And, and you know, like, I I think, too, on the opposite side of that, um, God has not laid everything completely bare. I mean, you mentioned symbols earlier. Like, he hasn't just given us um, a play-by-play of every exact act that's going to happen. And I think that's gracious as well because, I mean— how scared to death would we be if we saw everything laid sure. out the way it was going to be and knew exactly uh, from moment to moment what was going to happen? Like there would probably be less hope and more dread in our lives. In some ways, um, I mean, ultimately God's still going to be the victor, but um, you know, I think He has concealed um, perfectly the things that He wants to conceal, and He's revealed those things perfectly that He wants to reveal.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of like that old conversation of hey do you want to know how how you're gonna die right you yeah. know I mean you, you played that as a kid right hey would you rather know the date of when you're gonna die or how you're gonna die and ultimately um, we would be paralyzed if we knew either <laughs> right yeah um, the way that we would live our life would be ultimately um, dramatically even changed and so God has held some back back some things and it's for our benefit right uh, I, I don't know what I would do uh, if I knew some of the things the Lord, um, new and, and ultimately he's not holding it back from my joy, but for my, for my good. Right. Not, right. F- not to keep me from what is good, but to give me what is truly good by sometimes not giving me what I want. Dude, um, I'll
1: just say you played a pretty dark game as a kid.
0: Oh, you played that too. Everybody <laughs> had that not. conversation. Oh, come on. <laughs> um, so, uh, Hey, uh, so we talked about the context we talked about the goodness of Christ even in the introduction to the book of Revelation, not even getting into all these symbols yet and what Christ has particularly done in being the lion and the, the lamb and all those things. Let's talk about culture. How can we apply just a brief introduction, like the first three v- verses of Revelation to our lives today?
1: Well, I think one of the ways is that you immerse yourself in it. I mean, if you know that God has given it to reveal, uh, to you and I things that are to come, uh, it means that he wants us to know what's in it. And so like, I think we should just take time, um, to read it. And, and I don't think just, you know, three verses. Like I think we should take time some days to read three verses. I think we should take time other days to read chapters. I think there should be a time where people sit down and read the whole thing in one setting um, Mm -hmm. so that they can try to grasp the big picture of the whole book of Revelation. Um, I don't think you and I uh, as pastors are doing anything uh extraordinary uh, I don't, that that other people can't do you know like if yeah. if they dig into the scriptures and and really mine out what's in there I think people can do that I think God's given them the ability to do that I think the spirit is the one that reveals things to the heart of his people anyway and so it's not like uh, we as pastors have more of the spirit than anybody else mm. um, and so, I I think that's one thing. Just don't shy away from it. Just immerse yourself in it.
0: Yeah, I I think you're spot on there too, right? And I know I keep saying you're spot on, but you are. Um, There's passages that do not often give us hey, this is what you need to do in those particular passages. So maybe um, there's like a passage in I don't know, Hebrews that talks about how the curtain was symbolic of Christ being torn for us, right? And so there's not like, okay, do we what do we do here, right? There, there is something we should treasure there, but sometimes it's just grasping the goodness of God. In this passage, there is a clear application. It says, "What? Read this aloud, right, yeah. and obey it, right." And so, uh, I would assume that the courier that would take this letter to the actual real seven churches from John um, would have given it to someone in the church who was able and literate to read this, and they would have done exactly that. They would have read it aloud. Oh, this is from John. What does he have to say? And they would read it, and as they're hearing, in the midst of persecution, the fact that Christ will wipe every tear from their eye and that he will um, ultimately come and dwell with them. I mean, you just got to imagine they're saying, yes, 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 right, over and over and over. It's just kind of like that one uh, the gif of the WWE or whatever World Wrestling Federation is now of that guy, if you've ever seen it in the gif, who's just raising his hands over and over and it's saying, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. You've got to imagine <laughs> they're responding in that same way that you see the people of Nehemiah respond as Nehemiah is just reading the book of Numbers out loud, right? Yeah. They're just saying, oh, these are the words of the Lord. May we obey because his soon. Uh, sorry, his, he's returning soon. Um, so we ought to do the same things. So, as you said, sometimes let's just read a few verses and meditate on them, but sometimes hey let's let, let let's see the glorious picture of God's soon return and hold on to that reality that will soon be in the midst of what is difficult. right? Maybe I'll try um, that
1: whenever I finish up the book of Revelation. We'll just one Sunday we'll just read the whole thing together. Dude, uh, I don't know how my congregation I, would respond to that, but we'll
0: see. Okay, I know that sounds crazy. Why not? Right, no, I mean, yeah. I mean, sort of. Why not? But I mean, of course, DMI did, and the priests also interpreted the law and ever interpreted what was been said. But I one time uh, read through the book of Ephesians out loud um, in a student ministry, and this was one time that I ever did this. And man, I mean, I was brought to tears. And sometimes we had like a couple of just leaders just clapping and thanking God. There's no uh, every book of the Bible is great, but there's just no better book to do that with. I remember uh, uh, Matt Papa and. Uh, um at Super Summer one time in Arkansas, instead of coming out with this whole band just talked about Nehemiah reading the law and he came out and read uh, you know, a, part, a portion of the New Testament and it was a time of worship, right? Mm-hmm. So that's probably what they had done you know, um, in those churches. So God's word is good, let's treasure it, let's read it, let's obey it because ultimately it says the time is near. Lastly, um, if we can, unless there's anything you wanna mention in culture again, Let's talk about controversy. Now, what we're going to have to do with the book of Revelation as it pertains to controversy in the first three verses is kind of have to look a little bit forward by some of the key phrases that are said here. Like, for example, the things that must soon take place for the time is near, right? And it says that this is a prophecy. So in taking some of those phrases, let's just talk through maybe a little bit about what this is pointing toward throughout the book. So I'm going to start us out here. This is probably going to be the, uh, the most confusing and deepest, quote-unquote, parts of our uh, four things we'll always mention. Sometimes context will be pretty deep. But I think we see three things being said here. And help me comment through them. But I think we see prophecy. He says, hey, this is um, a prophecy in verse 3, the words of this prophecy. So I think he's talking about the whole book of Revelation. He talks about it being apocalyptic. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a showing, a revealing, right, to show his servants, that is, the believers. And it's ultimately a letter as well, right? Hey, here's a Mm -hmm. letter that I'm going to give to you that you're going to circulate, and ultimately 2,000 years from now, two guys on a podcast are going to be talking about, right? (laughs) Um, So let's just walk through some of the... uh, controversies that may come with those different things. And I'm going to start, if I can, unless you have something you just want to kind of throw out there. No, um, really. Okay, so um, prophecy. So the the book of Revelation is just steeped in imagery taken from the Old Testament, right? Um, the Old Testament prophecy ultimately pointed toward this consummation of all things that we find in the book of Revelation. For example, in the Old Testament you see things that are mentioned in Revelation, like the Tree of Life, like Jezebel, like Babylon, like the Temple, Ancient Serpent, Balaam, Tribes of Israel, Priests, the Wine Press of Wrath, Incense, and the Water of Life. These are all things in the Tree of Life. These are all things that are mentioned in the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, many of those things that are found in the book of Revelation. And so being well-versed in the Old Testament is going to be very helpful. Using a book, a Bible with cross-references is also going to be helpful. Um, uh, so that we can look at those Old Testament prophecies to see the fulfillment, um, not to try to figure out some code, but really to say, hey, this is this is the ending to what God has been pointing to throughout the Bible, <laughs> right? Um, and I'll just mention a couple things that are really important as it regards to this particular book and prophecy. Oftentimes, Ezekiel and Daniel, is, I think it's Ezekiel, Zacharias as well, um, is used really, really uh, prominently in the book of Revelation. Daniel is, is definitely an Old Testament book where um, there's a lot of kind of tie-in to the book of Revelation. Well, in the book of Daniel, chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream about um, uh, the, the kingdoms of the earth ultimately, you know, falling because a rock will come, crush them, and turn into this mountain, right? I think the mountain's the kingdom of God. I think Christ is the rock that will crush, and this is pretty universally understood I'm not, you know, having a wild interpretation here. You've got uh, the the Romans as a part of that um, big world army. You've got, um, uh, it's a statue, right? You've got the Medes and the Persians. You've got ultimately Babylon itself as this part of this gold statue that Christ is ultimately going to come crush. Well, um, in that dream, and when Daniel interprets it, he says basically this is something that will take place in the future. Well, Um, John and most of the New Testament writers were operating with the Old Testament translated into their common language in Greek and it was called the Septuagint, right? And a lot of the verbiage that's used in the Septuagint in chapter 2, like starting in verse 29 in the book of Daniel, is used in these first three verses. And instead of saying what will take place, it says what will soon take place. It actually says what soon will take place using a lot of that Old Testament Old Testament language in Daniel, four times. What must soon take place? So the appointed time mentioned in Daniel is at hand in the lives of those reading the letter. Even us today is at hand. It's, it's soon. It's near. It's coming. It's, it's, it's imminent, right? Um, it's here. Uh, similarly, uh, in the same kind of verbiage, you see in the end of the book of Daniel, um, Daniel's commanded in, I think, verse 4 and verse 9 to seal up what he's written and to hold on to it because the time will come. Don't, He says, don't open it. Close it up till the end. But at the end of the book of Revelation, it says very similarly the opposite. Do not seal up the words of this book because the time is near. Keep it open. Hey, we're here now. What Daniel saw as something far off, John says, hey, this is immediate. Do, don't, don't seal this up. This is what Daniel looked forward to is, is going to happen, and God has revealed this to us. Now, prophecy is sometimes perplexing because there's sometimes an immediate context and there's a future reality of that immediate context and we don't have the time to get into all those nuances but in the old testament um, oftentimes it would talk about a suffering servant well that suffering servant was ultimately pointing toward jesus though the servant was in some sense israel uh, jesus would ultimately fulfill that suffering servant promise in isaiah 53 in his own life and death right Um, You have prophecies about the new covenant, about the temple, about new creation that are fulfilled in the New Testament, um, hundreds of years after they were written about in um, the Old Testament. So prophecy sometimes is a little bit difficult. We just need to recognize that this is a prophecy. And so we need to kind of see how the Bible treats prophecy and treat it similarly. Yeah, I I I mentioned. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was
1: just going to say, I may have mentioned this on a previous podcast, but I think uh, John Piper's uh, illustration of that's really helpful is if you're looking from looking at a mountain range from the end all of those mountains are going to look like they're stacked right on top of one another but if you if you go to the side of that mountain range you're going to see that some of them are close together and some of them are miles and miles apart and so that's kind of the way prophecy is, is that mm. sometimes, in, like in the book of Daniel, it may look like it's stacked, or in, in the book of Isaiah, it's looked like it's stacked right on top of one another. But in in actuality, there are sometimes times that those times are extremely far apart.
0: That's, that's really it. And it being an apocalypse. So just continuing on, not only prophetic, but apocalyptic, meaning to show. Apocalyptic, sometimes we think of apocalypses like I don't know, different movies called Apocalypse, I don't know, uh, about, you know, the destruction of all things. But the, the word Apocalypse, as you've already mentioned, right, is just the word to say to reveal, to show, right? And, um, and it does so with pictures. And I talked about more like an art gallery, like Kevin DeYoung says, than, uh, you know, clips from a movie that's in chronological order. Um, well, sometimes these pictures seem to, and I may be giving a little bit away of my interpretation here um, and of course, um, I'm always going to be learning with revelation, right? As we all are. So it could change here, but the pictures often recapitulate the same thing in different ways, almost from different vantage points throughout the book in different parts. So like in revelation 11 and revelation 20, you have final judgment. There's not obviously two final judgments, right? It seems like revelation 11, if I remember right, that's the, uh, uh, um, well, wow. Revelation 11, Revelation 20, sorry, both final judgment. Revelation 16, which is the end of the bowls, um, you see judgment, salvation, it's kind of done with. And then you have Revelation 21, and that's when it's actually done with. You'll wipe away every tear from our eye. It is finished. It is done. He has come to dwell with man. So how does it how is it done again, right? Uh, this happens often. Revelation 6 and Revelation 16, everything's been destroyed in Revelation 6 well, it's destroyed again, it seems like, in Revelation 16. So what was there to destroy if everything's been destroyed? So I just say that to say that the way that we approach this book, oftentimes, um, we should see symbols and be okay with symbols. We talked about before our podcast that, you know, even the most literal reader of the book of Revelation doesn't believe that there's actually going to be a literal harlot riding a beast, right? No matter how uh, much you... Uh, take the book literally, there's even symbols within the book that say, hey, this is a symbol for this, right? Uh, for example, just in the first chapter, you have in chapter 1, verse 20, He says, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you see in my right hand or that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the churches, which we'll get into interpretation later, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So at the forefront of the book, there are some symbols that God ultimately reveals to us so that we might understand them and appreciate them, but it gives us a little bit of credence to say, okay, some things that are mentioned here could be symbols. The repetitive use of the number seven, for example, seven churches, seven spirits, seven judgments, seven lamps, seven bowls, seven trumpets. Um, So uh, I, I say all that just to say, hey, there's symbolism. There's differences of opinion on how much time things recapitulate themselves or show themselves multiple different times in multiple different ways. Some take Revelation as cyclical rather than chronological, um, and uh, and it's because of this apocalyptic imagery and writing style. Anything you'd add to just apocalypse?
1: Uh, no, I think you pretty well covered it there. Um, I think we ought to cover the whole, the whole idea of nearness, so if you want to jump into that or you want me to, I don't care.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's good. Um, I would just just briefly talk about that to say that there are really, because we already talked about two different approaches to the book, there are two main approaches when you see things in this first three verses like the time is near and the things that must soon take place, right? Um, because there's such thing as the futurist approach and the preterist approach, um, you see very clearly that they're going to take these phrases like this very much in different directions. Um, Not saying that idealist and historicist shouldn't be considered here, but you just see the two polar opposites with a phrase like this and futurist and preterist. Preterist is gonna take the things that must soon take place and the time is near as being something that will happen immediately in the lives of those that are reading it you know, 2,000 years ago in the churches in Asia Minor, right? Um, Whereas the futurist is basically gonna use a framework like uh, the things that have taken place in chapter 1, the things that are in chapters 2 through 4, 2 through 5, and the things that will be in chapter 6 and on, right? Um, so there's two different interpretations there. I've read some different preterist authors that would argue that the, um, the things that must soon take place is not just referring to the general idea of some of the New Testament writers that basically say Christ could return immediately, right? Um, Jesus basically says, you know, watch because his coming is near, it's soon. Um, so the, the idea of the imminent return of Christ, many preterists say, hey, that's true, um, but a lot of these things before his return, the parousia in the Greek language of him returning, hey, the symbols here, hey, they're going to soon happen, like in the in the life of those reading this prior to AD 70, right? So it's just going to be a huge difference of opinion and how we should take the things that must soon take place.
1: Yeah. I think one thing that's helpful to remember as well is that, you know, there's so much talk today about living in the last times or the last days. And and I think any good, um, interpreter of scripture needs to understand what that last hour, that last day is. I mean, if you go back and look at first John, um, John there clearly says we are living in the last hour. And here um, John says in revelation that things must soon take place. And, and so like, how can, how can John say that? And yet it's been 2000 years and some of this stuff um, hasn't been fulfilled yet. Like how do we, how do we understand those things? And I think, I think Peter is helpful there and where he says that, that, you know, to the Lord uh, a thousand years is like one day. Um, and, uh, I know that, uh, Tom Schreiner, uh, even says, so, so basically those 2000 years have been like two days to God. Right. <laughs> and so, um, you know, the, uh, understanding that when Christ first came, his first coming, uh, his, uh, incarnation, um, there's death, burial and resurrection, all of that, uh, inaugurated the, the last days. And so, all of the apostles that wrote in the the new testament could could clearly say we're living in the last days and and we as well can say that that we are living in the last days because his first coming inaugurated that and his second coming will be the consummation of that and so i think that's helpful to put a framework in like how how are we to understand nearness and how are we to understand whenever john says that We are living in the last days, and these things must soon take place. And so it's not as if um, the last days, like a lot of people think of the last days as just being that time of tribulation that will happen that's talked about in Revelation, uh, whereas it was a much bigger scope than that for the writers in the New Testament.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's really good. And I think it was really helpful that you mentioned that we are in this time in between. Commentators often say they are not yet. Between the first advent of Christ, the first coming of Christ, where He, um, you know, secured our salvation, where He has inaugurated the kingdom of God, and then uh, the second advent of Christ, where He will return and um, and consummate all of uh, uh, that which He had planned, that He secured in this first coming. So we're in this time of waiting, time of in, in between, almost. Um, and these different interpreters are basically saying, okay, how much has happened in this time in between and how much is yet to happen, right? And, and so long as we agree that Christ has not yet returned, um, there's right. going to be some different opinions here, right? right. Um, uh, there's going to be the reality that we're all going to face levels of persecution until that time. And the theme of the book of Revelation remains, persevere because he who has saved you will be faithful. So why don't we close just with a word of prayer um, for those listening in, and then, Corey, you can kind of land the ship after that. If you have questions about the book of Revelation, I would just say, hey, we, we want to hear from you, um, whether you're in our church, uh, in our ministries, or you're just hearing somehow by this podcast being shared. Send us a message on Instagram. We do have an Instagram page now, um, and you can also uh, you know, just review, Corey will talk about this more later, but give us a review, and then write a question in the comment section on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness, and in particular, your goodness for revealing who you are, what you will do, and what you desire in your word. Especially to the things that we cannot yet see, we thank you for showing what we'll be. Lord, help us to be content with not being able sometimes to understand when this will take place, what exactly this will look like. Lord, help us to remember that the purpose of the book of Revelation is not just for us to figure out some code, but rather see that you are a faithful God and that all things, when they come to pass, for believers will be the most glorious thing we'll ever experience because you will dwell with us. Help us, we pray, to remain faithful to the end. We thank you for your word, like in the book of Jude, that says that you promise to keep us blameless. And we thank you for words like in the book of Philippians that tell us that you work in and uh, uh, through us or to secure us, to hold us fast to the day of your redemption. So Lord, as we look to the things that we cannot fully see, Help us to look with eyes upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Well, it is a blessing for us to be able to discuss these things. We hope it is a blessing for you. Uh, again, we do want you to go to either Apple Podcasts or um, Spotify and give us a five-star review so that other people can can hear this along with us. And um, we, uh, if the Lord wills, we will be with you next week to discuss the next Section of Revelation. Every God bless Monday, use you, you read. Yes, every Monday.